0: My name's Derek and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I don't know how to do this at all, really. Plus the fact that I mean I uh, I've only just started being able to speak again because about, about three weeks ago I had all my teeth taken out and uh, and these implants put in. And um, so it all kind of feels funny in there. And i you know I'm just I'm just trying to kind of overcome this lisp and a whistle which you can hear. Uh, 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 and actually, uh, some of it is quite nice because I sound like people like, I used to admire, like, oh, this Russian Ray Charles, he used to sing with a so that's cool. But one of the great things about this was that one of the, my dreads as a practicing alcoholic was dentistry. Um, uh, there was, like, a, a lot of other things that, that, that were really just not, uh, not available to me. I had such a, uh, you know, the dysfunctionality in my life was so pronounced that I didn't even see a toothbrush until I was about 18, you know, I was I, very poor stuff, all that raised with, you know, in a two-up, two-down where there was an outside, you know, zinc bath, and no bathroom, and so, but I remember being in class at school about uh, 10 years old and the back of one of my front teeth fell off, I mean, and, and that's where a lot of my kind of disease started to kick in because I started lying, and, uh, I think I've already kind of developed the, that, the thing that, you know, Lauren and other people have talked about, that thing about changing the way I felt. I started changing the way I felt right then, and that obviously before, because um, my teeth fell off because of sugar, and I started eating sugar, um, I mean, I can't even remember when I was probably five years old, sugar on bread and butter, and that was like, the, I don't think it was like a post-war thing in England, that that's what you did, poor families did that, um, they used to put sugar in milk to the feed the children so that the children would, would drink the milk you know, and it was it was like part of bad education uh, all kinds of uh, just dysfunctionality and um, and so i was kind of set up i was ready for this stuff and I, and I and i you know there were so many other ways that it was coming into my life i lived in a village in the country in england where we had this thing called the british legion which was like a veterans club society you know and um, and I would see the ground, we would, as kids would be taken and we'd be stuck outside, put outside with a packet of um, crisps or whatever you call them here, potato chips, yeah and a coke or something, and they would go inside and they would change. You know, the adults would change. And they'd go in kind of quiet and reserved and miserable. And I, you'd hear them changing inside into, into kind of happy, uninhibited, you know, gregarious people. And they'd, be, and they'd be having the time of their lives. And then they'd come out and then, they'd be, you know, once they were kind of out again, and they'd take a phone, there would be a show back somehow and it would be a little bit more pronounced It'd be a bit more kind of um, aggressive and sullen uh, and you know it was kind of like that was like a little microcosm of what my kind of drinking was like that I would be you know just shy, withdrawn, terrified, fear-based human being who, who once I got something inside of me became you know anybody and was up for anything. And then, as it started to wear off, I became malevolent and violent and aggressive and, and miserable. And, and in the end, suicide. And uh, and that, that's what brought me here. And and I, you know, the one thing that always, you know, that I go over and over in my head, and whenever I think about what I'm going to say at a meeting, is that apart from being blessed, you know, I wonder why I was chosen for this and why we get to each other. I I wouldn't even think about. How that affects you, what you think about that. But I know for me, I don't understand why some people don't want. It. I mean, I've brought, I've, I've done some twelve step work where I've brought people to the door, and I've seen them turn away, walk away, and I've seen others die, you know, deliberately die when confronted with the whole notion of getting honest and uh, and looking at their past and trying to uh, do the work that that, that that is involved. And and, um, and I and I don't understand why they didn't want to do it, you know? and, I, and why me, why you, why we get to be fortunate enough to, to, the miracle I'm talking about is the wanting. That's the miracle in my life, is that I wanted it um, enough to do the hard work. And I, you know, I found it pain. I'm sure we've all found it pale. I'm sure the newcomers find it very, very powerful. I can't even remember. I mean, that seems like a fog, like there's a fog between me now because I know I was just driven by fear and like I remember coming to meetings trying to impress everybody with the fact that I'd been around for a while, so you know how did how does a newcomer do that you know I wanted everyone it was impossible I wanted to pretend like I'd done the steps I wanted to pretend like I was you know' three or four years sober when I was only six weeks, and 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 that the pain of that, you know the pain of that self-consciousness, of um the pain of asking for help, that to me was very, very hard work. I don't know anybody um, who seriously works on this program and finds it easy because it's not supposed to be because it requires that we that we put one foot in front of the other, and we and, and the most courageous people in the world in my book are recovering alcoholics, the people that walk through that door. And on a date, and that's still the same for me now, you know, driving up here tonight. I, if I was, I have to hand it over. I have to hand it over to, to my higher power because, and, I, and that's easy for me now. I just say, you know, I don't know what to do. Get me there. I mean, I pray about like each mile of the road I'm driving. To get me there safe. Get me something to eat. You know, let the people be nice to me. Let, and, then, and then don't let, and try to keep me from talking about what I think you know, because that was a complete waste of time and they all know, you know, they all, we are, you know, it's like we're all I mean, experts on one fucking thing or another. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, and I just hope that he, you know, sometimes he, he well, he answers most of my, prayers. he got me here. It's like, I think it was Ted said, but, you know, that whole thing about, uh, you know, I'm paying back. So, cause I, I prayed all through my drinking to be got out of every situation I was in you know, to be relieved of this to be got through that and I'll never do it again and, uh, and I'd do it again and I'd ask and I was always delivered now and that's the other thing is why was I, uh, and, so I, I and the thing is you know it really is none of my business that's the, that's the, the kind of the, the kernel of it all is that I'm not supposed to, I don't think I'm supposed to know and whether I think I'm supposed to know or not doesn't make any difference because I'm not going to ever find out You know, I don't think I will. Uh, It's only when I look back on the path that I've already traveled that I see how when I've been there meeting that person, there's been some kind of connection where they meet another person that somehow brought to, uh, you know, the program or something. And then I see that every girlfriend I've ever had or every, you know, journey I've ever taken has been in order for me to do some... It's all about service. And the thing is that I can't govern that. I have no control over it and really all I've got to remember to do is just show up uh, and the the rest is done for me Uh, because I don't, you know, the minute I try to figure out how this works, I don't need to come here anymore and that's that's a frightening one because I know people that do and I guess there's some, I know some that do and it's like I'm getting off on a tangent and they turn into lecturers and they turn into experts and and I'm not, that's not what I want. I, I like to hear people that are, you know, around a long time who still say, well, I don't know how to do this. You know, I don't know what, I'm frightened. For. Because then I know that they're human and I can, you know, because I can I go back to that thing of authority. I can't be around authority. I, I need humility. I need humility as an example. I need to see that someone could stay sober a long time and not become authority, not become you know, like a governing body, not become an expert, that they can be, they can retain the innate, that they can, they can be childlike and still be adult, you know, and, and that that's what, I find that here, I don't find it anywhere else, and I I know there are great people out there without programs who just seem to be on the path, and I do meet them from time to time, but if I want to be guaranteed to that kind of exposure, I come to an AA meeting, and I get it here, and, uh, so, I, I mean, my story is very, very simple. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same as everybody else here. It got hairy. It, uh, um, it got good. I crossed the line. It got nasty. And someone, you know, and I don't, you know, with was that whole thing about I knew for a very, very, very long time that I crossed that line. I don't remember crossing it, but I knew for at least the last 10 years of my drinking, I think, that I had to stop. And I, would rem- I remember getting, waking up, coming to, and, and thinking, well, today is the day. I've got to stop this today. And I can't, t- I can't, I can't, I don't want to tell anybody about that because I don't want to make any promises to anyone. <laughs> so this is something I want to do on my own. And then when I've done it, I can say, I, And, but I'll just have a drink first to kind of like, you know, <laughs> get know, uh, <laughs> so that my mind can function you know, so that I can figure out how to, how I'm going to do it and I, of course the first one wouldn't even go down, it would just, my body would reject it and I'd be dry heaving and then it would be like, and it was vodka, you know, with in the end, I'm sure most of us know that one and, uh, and finally the third or fourth one would go down and then the, then I'd go, I'd be fine Define. and, and i think right now, so what should I, how would I go about this? Um, I don't know, I'll, I'll take the bottle down to the other room and I'd move around the house, you know, and uh, postponing, postponing the actual whatever it was I thought I was going to do, postponing it until the bottle was empty and I was passed out again. And, uh, and, 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 you know, while I was doing that, I was thinking, well, this afternoon, this afternoon, I'll stop, you know, and of course this afternoon was gone, you know, and, I, and I'd wake up and it would be dark and I wouldn't know whether that darkness was morning or evening. I mean I didn't know I'd be at home and I didn't know where I was you know I was, um, and and I was married I had a, a very successful career and I, this has been a great thing for me in my uh, journey was being able to tell people um, that acquisition is not it um, because by the time I was 23 I was a millionaire with the gift that God gave me as a musician—I was making money without wanting to make money. I didn't—I didn't have a snippet coming in, and I tried very hard. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and I would leave every band the minute they thought they wanted to be on TV. I was gone. There was some—I actually would see the anon- the anonymous part of the program was very familiar because somehow or another, I wanted that for me anyway. I wanted to be able to be good at something, but without anybody knowing it. But I did want to know, it was like that whole paradox of, I don't want you to know, but I want the key And I had madness, insanity even then. So, but um, the whole thing about that was that I didn't want to be rich, I didn't want to be successful, and and as long as I had that going on, I could not stop it. And and I'm sure, you know, people that want money, want success, it just doesn't happen because there's something it's like a paradox in there, um, but I do know that having all that stuff, and having a beautiful wife, and a great home, and a career that just shone—you know, no matter what I tried to do to disrupt the whole thing, it kept getting better and better. And uh, in spite of all that, at the end of each day, I was considering suicide. And uh, now, see that—how does that make sense? You know that. And I, and I know that there are people um, who probably come into this program without very much who think that this is going to get them that you know, and and maybe it will, but but for sure, along with it come a lot of problems and and some of those things, I don't know if I'm ready for now. I mean, I'm still quite you know self-destructive. I mean, I do like to uh, sabotage, self-sabotage a lot, and I still practice that. I still kind of set about trying to undermine it so that, so that i basically so that I can survive really and, and retain some kind of anonymity. Um, so for that part of me, um, there, I'm very lucky and blessed in that I did, for instance, have a fairly strong belief in God when I came here. That was not a problem for me and I did want to be anonymous. So when people uh, came up to me at meetings and asked for my autograph, it was easy for me to say no. You know, I'm, I'm Eric the alcoholic, um, and there was a time I think where, where there was definite conflict in it for me that when I first got sober, which is a long while ago now, it was back in eighty nineteen eighty one. um, I went out on the road, you know, I went out on tour and it sounded like shit and I felt, and it was an awful experience and of course it was everything, you know, I was in treatment and everyone said, counselors and fellow patients like said, you know, um, don't do anything. It's like the whole thing. Don't do anything. Don't get involved with anybody. Don't make any decisions. Don't do anything for a year. And within six months, I was touring America on a massive scale, <laughs> hating every minute of it, and uh, it. and being being around um, very very dangerous situations all the time. And not and really kind of feeling miserable. And I suppose you know I was you know, I was on the way back, and I and I relapsed as a result of that. and and in my... I went back into treatment, and in that period of time, um, being back in treatment, you know, I had to... I was either going to come back here as an alcoholic above all, uh, or I, I was probably going to die, you know. I mean, but this was... I mean, I had it. I have it in space, this disease. I really do. I have it on every level. I mean, I, 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 I project all the time. I'm a fear-based guy. Um, I, you know, shame. I go into shame spirals at the drop of that, I'm getting better, like, like Lauren said, I'm improving, but I don't do anything, I mean, all I do is I, I come to meetings and I, and I, and I pray that God will do most of the rest, I will try, I work the steps, but I'm very conscious of the fact that my, my defects are not really mine to control, I mean, I can't, I've never been able to, like someone else said. I don't know how to hand it over, I still don't know quite how to hand it over, other than, to try and help somebody else, you know, when, when I get into that predicament about self-obsession, I kind of got a, a, a switch where I think, well, think, think about somebody else, don't do something for somebody else. That's my way of saying, oh, but I don't know if that's right, I mean, it's the way I do it, but for me it's still it's tough, you know, and uh, the thing about where I've had to work very hard is being, you know, having this kind of celebrity as a musician ha- and being like on the media Uh, and, you know, and uh, and there's recently been a thing where I tried to, I've I've put together a a center in the Caribbean to, to help people and I, and I realized that that's not an AA project, you know, I've had to kind of really work hard on my boundaries around this stuff, is that, you know, treatment centers, I'm not AA, you know, that's like they, they, they they work with the 12-step program and they advise, but nevertheless, you know, and, and it's still a separate issue and when I was, confronted with these people that, you know, that I put together to make this thing work. I said, well, you're going to go out there and have to go out there. You're our only asset. Nobody knows this fucking thing is here. You've got to go and tell them that it's here. And you've got to, and it, you know, in order to do that, well, I said, well, what am I going to do? I go on 60 Minutes, to the Dudley Show. I do, like, all kinds of fucking magazine and newspaper articles. And in the course of that, I'm on the edge the whole time by breaking my anonymity. And that's been a real tough thing and, you know, that's given me, that whole exercise gave me a great learning curve about what, what, how important my anonymity is to me. And it is really about my boundary, about, you know, how much I, because now I've got to the point where I love this thing we have. I love it above all. And even when I say that, I can feel a tingle coming to me because it's a spiritual thing for me that, that, that what we do and the way we help other people and ourselves and in the process, it is not to be fucked with, it is not to be compromised, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, and, and it's like, it's amazing how, how when, when people are faced with that, how it tantalizes people, you know, like, uh, I remember my sponsor being involved in the kind of sort of business project where, you know, they had a long conference, but these other people that he was involved with on some business thing. It was all folding. It was getting crazy. And somehow or another, he sorted it all out. And after the meeting, one of these guys came up to him and said, you know, and, I, what, and I don't know how you did that. And it was brilliant. But what, what's your secret? What what, what have you got in, going on? And he said, well, um, um, it's nothing to do with me. And it is a secret. <laughs> you know, and that was like, that's what it. <laughs> and, and I love that, you know, that. But, and and that guy, you know, he's he's got 20 years, and he is like a, a saint to me. But he's one of those guys that says, I don't know, I don't know. I am mean, I just got to meet you, you know, and I love that. But but it is very difficult. I've had to do a lot of work going up, going to, to talk to people in treatment and Saying like, you know, uh, the, that primary purpose. You know, whether, when we read the preamble, our primary purpose is stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve the That is my primary purpose. And I've had to be in my list. My primary purpose is not making sure this fucking treatment thing works. My primary purpose is if I get the opportunity going in there and telling the alcoholics in there, recovering people that want to stay sober, my story, but what I think, or not, you know, please get your other powers to come in because we need the money, you know, but seriously, just to be there so they can see that I'm a guy with a load of money who's had a great career, but who still occasionally thinks about suicide. And you know, although that has got a lot better, I can assure you. But but that, that is not it. That it is about peace of mind, which comes from other other people, comes from our common welfare, um, and that's what I always rely on. You know, that um, in any given difficult situation. There's two options for me. One is to isolate and try and figure it out and eventually fucking self-destruct and go down the road that I've already traveled. The other one is to come here and ask you for what you did when you had the similar experience. And that's the one I've chosen most. And it worked. And it, it, it usually, you know, I'll avoid people that try and, you know, or, 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 lecture, or tell me what they think. I will say, well, tell me what you did when this happened to you, so that I get the experience. Uh, and just, and usually it is the simplest thing imaginable, you know, and that's what works. And, uh, so that's it for me. I mean, I flew all this way to come to this meeting and, uh, <laughs> and I, and I'm really, really, I'm really glad to be here. Um, I, I had no idea. I, I remember actually driving up the coast thinking that about 20 years ago I came up here to make a record at a place called Shangri La and man, I, I, is, is it is a different now. I mean, and I, I don't know if it's still there, the place, but some of those guys are dead, you know. Um, one of them's in. This was a group called the Band, you know, that was a great band, and. One of us hung himself, and he was like, we were, we drank together. I mean he was like a grandma I drank Grandma, I had the bottle, and I love, man that that's a man's <laughs> way of drinking, you know um, and he hung himself, and thought, and I've seen so many people, lost so many friends who didn't get this light shone in their lives and which brings me back to that thing is like God, uh, God somehow or another chose us, and now we get to choose and and that's the other thing about this programme that I love the most. I love that I have a choice today. And like Lauren also said, I can look back and see that it's all been choice. And it's still it still is, you know. I can choose and, and I am responsible for my own happiness and, and and for my my own life. I am totally responsible today. I don't blame anymore. I try to still on okay, occasion. Because I am an alcoholic and, and I will always I will always, always Act in that typical way. My first response is usually to you know it's his fault or hurtful, and then I modify, and and that and then I act. I act usually on the modification, and uh, for that I'm really grateful. Um, it's been almost twelve years for me, uh, and and I guess I've got another twelve to go before I'll have paid back my debt, and. Uh, uh, and I hope a bit more, you know. Um, I don't ever really think about this as being a long, long road. It's still one day at a time for me. I really don't make too many plans. I, I try to take the program for everything I do, the way I the way I love, the way I, I live, the way I work. It's about spontaneity and being in the moment. And we're very, very lucky to be given this gift. And uh, and I'm very grateful for you listening to me tonight. Thanks. Thanks for letting me show you.
1: I'm Stevie. I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, and I'm too. am nervous. I'm saved by the grace of God, and that's the only way I know of. Everything I've done got me here. I know that um, a lot of a lot of what got me here was also the grace of God, because I couldn't have. Uh, couldn't have needed the questions or had the questions I don't think that uh that I try to find out the answers to these days without the grace of God I started off my drinking and using career oh I guess early 60s when I was somewhere around uh, 7 or 8 years old I grew up in an alcoholic family. My father was an alcoholic and even though I saw the problems that alcohol caused in our family, I still found it attractive for some reason. I don't know what that was. I thought I was missing something. I was always a kid who was afraid I was going to miss something. Somewhere along the line, I started trying to uh, find out why my father would go back and and continue to drink, even though every time he did, I saw what happened, which was big fights, you know, violence. Um, And we were always real scared of him, but he continued to do it anyway, and I I never did understand what that was until one day. A few years later, I realized that I wasn't doing anything any differently mm-hmm. other than making a little bit more money and an atmosphere to it. you know mm-hmm. um, I guess about seven or eight years old, I started stealing drinks either uh well my parents used to have these these forty two parties, and quite a few people would come over and They'd be uh, having a Tom Collins or whatever, you know, and when somebody wasn't looking, I'd take one of the drinks and run in the kitchen, you know, and make them a new one and uh, <laughs> refresh their drink, you know. It's just that I would refresh my memory about what it tasted like a lot of the time. You know? I never really, I never really thought that it tasted very good or anything, and then, then one day I tried to, I tried to uh, make myself a drink out of my dad's bourbon that was in the freezer. It didn't taste pretty good either. I guess it was the wrong brand or something. But somewhere along the line, I started finding that attractive somehow. About the same time, here was a throat doctor who, it was general practice with him when you, when you went in for him to take a look at his nose, he would... Squirt you full of what I later found out was a strong solution of liquid cocaine. And I never really knew why my face was numb when I left there and why I felt a little different. But I later on found out that I didn't know how to breathe without the stuff. Because it was in a nose spray he gave me. The first bottle said use, you know, once every 24 hours. The second bottle said use two or three sprays every 12 hours and the next one said use as needed. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) But I guess as I was going into junior high was when I started, when I really started trying to drink. We'd moved to Graham, Texas and I really didn't want to go at all. Um, I'd I'd gotten in the first band that I really wanted to be in and was excited about it, and we had to move, and I had to give up everything, you know, including my way. We got to Graham, and uh, my parents had told me we were going to be there for about six weeks, and that was about six weeks into the six months that we stayed there. While I was going to school there, well, actually the first day I went to school there in Grand Texas just to show you what kind of, how much I liked it. I got kicked out of school three times the first day <laughs> and uh, I didn't even do anything, you know. I just went to school and they didn't like how my belt was, uh, they didn't like how my hair was cut twice, you yeah. know. And uh, I real quick found this guy that sold, he sold Alka-Silfer bottles full of, full of sour mash Continue to find him every day, you know. Even though I, did, I didn't like how it tasted or anything, it just kind of helped me smooth along, you know. Because there wasn't anything that I really wanted there. I'd get beat up all the time, and, and, and there wasn't anybody to play any music with. Well, we stayed there for about six months, and finally, so I just told my parents that I wasn't going back to school anymore, and that ended up being about the same time we moved back to Dallas. And back to Dallas for me was—I uh, didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but really all I—all I really was doing here at the time was—I uh, well, I was trying to play music and everything. But the, the main thing I was doing was hanging out with the kids down the street, and uh, what they did all the time was see how they could get high this way or that way, you know. And I thought that. Well, all I was doing was just trying to be in with the people, you know, with these kids. What I was really doing was learning how to get high and stay high all the time, and run away from what was going on. I guess what was going on really was that, uh, you know, people grow up and they learn things about living life and uh, and grow. I didn't, uh, I never, that never dawned on me. I just thought you just kind of went from day to day and. Day you got older and then things happened and you graduate and or quit school or whatever. At any rate I learned uh, I just learned how to bag glue and how to how to figure out this pill was this kind and this was that kind and if you hit real hard on this joint you might get a bug. So usually I was scared to though at the time. The thing was is that was the only thing I knew how to do. All I knew how to do was just try to try to get by every day. I wasn't really learning anything about living life. There was really no information at home because I, I couldn't. It was pretty violent in my house. I couldn't go in and ask my dad about things. Um, I couldn't go ask my dad about about school or about garbles or about anything because it was. Uh, pretty much you're supposed to know that stuff on your own <laughs> or just leave me alone. Is that your stuff? Get it out of your room, you know? So I uh, I just continued to try to find out things from the kids down the street. That wasn't the way to really go. I didn't know that. What I did keep learning, though, was about, about bands and what... Not to blame him, not to blame him on drinking or anything on bands, but I sure learned a lot about it there, because <laughs> that was, and still is, unfortunately, a lot of, in a lot of places. That's where a lot of the myth about it's real neat to get high or real cool to get high. That's where I learned a lot of it, because a lot of the people I really looked up to really knew how to drink and really knew how to get high, and. uh Along with every time I would get in a better band, it seemed like there were better drugs <laughs> and uh better brand of a uh, gin or whatever you, yeah. and I always thought I had to keep up. I just thought I had to keep up why that was I don't know I would see uh I would see someone I never really cared about this This is a pattern that's gone on most of my life, and I still don't understand why it's attractive to me or has been. I would see someone who I really cared and loved you know cared for and loved, and that they couldn't do anything unless they were shooting something, and I would see that it would be literally killing them, and that would be a good reason for me to try it. I don't know, I don't understand that but that's what that's the pattern that I developed it with my father, I saw it with very close friends, and I've seen it with people who are no longer alive, you know. I'm glad to say that I'm not doing that anymore. Because there was a stage in my life where I got to uh, experiment. Not like I thought experimenting was in the first place, but what happens to you if you do this much, you know? There was a time in my life when uh, a normal day would be to pull out whatever I could get my hands on and do it all at once. It wasn't do it till it was gone. It was do it all right then. And it would be enough to kill somebody. But for some reason, that was what I did. And I would sit there and go, well, this is what happens. And, and stay alive somehow. And I got it in my head that that was a, I don't know, somewhere along the line I got this verse, or it's not even a verse, it's just something in the Bible where, uh, in the last days, people will be trying to kill themselves and can't. And that's what I thought I was doing, I think. For some reason, I thought I couldn't die. I guess that's that Superman deal that we get. Through the years, all this progressed, and I just got to where, um, Everything I was doing was on a road to killing me. The only thing that I was doing that wasn't destructive was trying to play music. But that was really quickly taking a back seat to everything else. I still cared about someday finding something that meant something to me inside. And with another person, or with other people, I still cared about growing, but bit by bit, all of that was going somewhere in the past where uh, I couldn't reach it anymore. It was like a—it was like a, something that I couldn't reach anymore. Something that I just could dream about, and the things that I was doing every day was more like a trudge just to keep keep going because I didn't know how to stop anything I was doing or the predicaments I was in. And then one day about close to three and a half years ago, I started realizing that I could not live on the way I was going, but I could not stop it either. I didn't know how to stop and I knew that I couldn't keep going. That was a real strange place to be for me. Because I literally could not imagine the next day without a big bag of dope and several bottles of whiskey. I thought that uh, literally what I thought was that I would go on doing that until I died and then it would be a lot better because I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. And in my mind that seemed like a real good solution. because. I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore, but the people that I was mad at would, you yeah. I don't know why that seemed so neat to me. Uh, I don't know why I was that mad at people, you know. I guess I was probably mad at myself, is really what it was. Because to be honest, at the time, I thought those people were really uh trying to get revenge on me or whatever, and that's why they did the things that they were doing. And really, the truth of the matter was that I was just trying to get revenge on people that I couldn't understand, you know. But instead of, instead of doing it till I died, what happened was uh, I collapsed and just gave up. It was, it was funny because I saw it coming for a while. And the reason that I wouldn't let go and give up that fight in the first place was because of what other people would think. You know what they would think—not that uh, they would find out that I was getting lot or not that they would find out how bad off I'd, I'd gotten—but that they would think that I was weak because I gave up. And uh, it take a lot to find out that. That was the stronger thing to do, was to say, I can't do this anymore. You know, I have to live instead of die. So I woke up. I say I woke up. I got up and went to a friend of mine's hotel room and uh, sat there shaking and said, you know, this is what's going on. And uh, they called me an ambulance. And we were in Germany at the time. We went to... Went to this hospital and uh, somehow, somehow I got the nerve to get out of the hospital r- real quick because uh, I thought it was kind of strange. They kept asking me questions and then ignored me when I answered them. you yeah. know. And uh, then it dawned on me that they were speaking German. No wonder they were not listening, You know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I did get out of there, and a, it was a couple of days later, but I ended up going to a hospital, or going to see a doctor in London, and he, he was someone that I'd heard of, that I knew that, they could, do some, that they could do some good and give me some help. He, he put me in a hospital for a few days, and, and, uh, kind of looked out after me for a little bit while he basically detoxed me. I said basically detoxed me because the guy didn't have that that conventional of an idea of, of detox. It was, uh, if I needed, if I really needed a drink, I could have one. If I really thought I really needed a drink, he thought I should have one within about a five-day period. Because he just, the way he looked at it and the way he told me was, if you've been drinking for 25 years, you're not going to stop in a minute, you know. Instead of giving me, uh, or whatever it is they usually give you, he gave me, he just said, you can go have a drink if you really need one over the next five days. And in fact, he gave me, he gave me a drink on my birthday, which I was in the hospital. Ding, 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 What really happened after that was I got out of the hospital and flew back to the States to get treatment, and I tried to get drunk on the plane. It didn't work. It didn't work. And what I've done was I went, this is pretty funny to me, I went to my mother, she came over to see me in the hospital, I called her up and said, I called her and my girlfriend and said look I'm in the hospital, this is what's going on. They both were there the next day and I'm real grateful for that, it means a lot to me. We were on our way back over to the States and i was sitting there next to my mother and I didn't have any money so I borrowed $20 to go buy some cigarettes on the plane and uh, she knew there was no machine. I went and tried to find out how many crown rolls I could get, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's never enough. Uh, I learned that a long time ago. There's never enough dope and there's never enough to drink. There's either too much or not enough. You know, there's never just enough. But I, uh, I went and tried anyway. And went back, and i felt I felt, I felt guilty already I'm real good at the guilt, you know I went straight back to the seat, sat down next to her, you know, and know like this is not what I did, you know, and she I kind of knew that you know and uh anyway, we went back we got we got we landed and and uh I went to the hotel room, stayed there till the next day I went into treatment. I didn't expect to find out in treatment that that was one of the coolest places I've ever been. That's what I found out. You know, it wasn't uh, what I thought it was going to be at all. I went through the bigger stuff, you know. What if they found out on am a or Whose day? And you know, <laughs> and and I don't want to be here and all, you know, all this stuff. But once I once I got once I started paying attention to what was going on in treatment, for recovery. It's been something that I've really wanted ever since. I've not always been real good at sticking to a good, strong program, but at least I know that when I'm able to find those steps in my life, that it works. And it's really the only thing that does, because anything else I'm doing is just trying to fix something else up to look the way I want it to look or to be the way I want it to be. It's just working my way into living life. What I found in treatment was the same thing that I find in a meeting when I'm in the right place, in my heart at a meeting, and that's a bunch of people trying to help each other live life and grow in it. It's always been something that I've wanted to know about, and it's always been something that... I've wanted to do, it's not always been something that I've done. Sometimes I don't even know what grow means, but it's something that uh, I find every once in a while. Once in a while, I find growth and then I feel like me. If that's not where I'm at, then I feel like a shell with a bunch of static going on. That's really the way I feel. I don't know, in the, in the program of have found the only real lasting happiness that I've ever had. And it lasts whether I can really reach it or not. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but I know that it's there even though I can't always feel it. Because I know it's not out of, it's not out of something that I've made or bought or conned somebody out of. It's something that's bound to be real. And I see it I see it when I see it, other people come out of a real hard place to be into a more comfortable place with themselves. I know that must be growth. It's not just a new pair of boots or something, you know. I don't know. The hardest things that I've learned so far, I guess, is probably letting go of my own way, getting my own way, other people acting the way that I think they should act or looking the way that I think they should look. I'm not out of that yet. Yeah. It's just, that's my way, you know. My way is not the right way necessarily at all. And it's hard to admit that. It's hard to admit that I don't know it all. That's what I used to think. I used to think that if it wasn't done my way, that it was completely wrong and it couldn't be anything close to right because you just didn't know. I do know, it's kind of, it's, sometimes I find out that it's it's real comfortable not knowing everything, you know not knowing anything, in fact. It's funny, I'm well uncomfortable saying that right now, but (laughs) that's the truth. I don't know, I just know that it, when I come to meetings, when I take the time to pray and to listen and to take a look at myself and try to change, that I grow. And when I try to offer that to someone else, I feel better. And if I don't have any need to drink or to take any drugs. And if that's what this program does, if that's all it does, then it's helped me a whole lot. Because that's all I used to know, was drinking and using drugs. It's really, really all I knew. Because I didn't know how I felt, I still don't always know how I feel. A lot of times I... Uh, still find myself confused about what I think and what I feel. I don't know the difference very often. And that's a scary place to be a lot of times. But slowly, day by day, that's working out. It's working out for the better. It's been uh, about three and a half years, I guess, close to three and a half years since I've had the drink. And it struck me, it struck me New Year's Eve that to go and do what I had to do, New Year's Eve was uh, a lot different this year than I've noticed it being in the past. You know, a couple of years ago it was like a... last year it was kind of a daze. I was sick, but it was kind of a daze. This year, I was actually happy to be alive and noticed that I didn't have to be high to be up till five in the morning or whatever it was. You know, and that. It that I could look out and, and realize that I was starting a new year with, with new things to try to do, new things to try to care about. And one of them was me and one of them was y'all and what I do with my life and commitments, you know. Commitments have been another thing that I've never been very good at in my life. Well, I could get caught up in something real good, you know, I could get caught up in the, in the mirror combing my hair, you know, or uh, whatever. But commitments had not been something that i have been very good at because I was more scared of making a commitment than I was following it through, you know. But I realized that I'm still alive now. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing to me. When I was 17, I thought I wouldn't make it to 21. When I made it to 21, I thought something was... Something's up, you know. (laughs) You know, what's going on here? (laughs) When I passed 30, I thought something's wrong. I don't know. I'm just glad to be alive today. Glad to be alive today. I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about anything other than knowing that if I bet this program and if I let God do what he's going to do in my life, through you or through whatever, that it's a whole lot better than I ever could have done it myself before before I came to this program. I thank you all for letting me be here with you. Whether I know what to say about it or not, it means a lot to me. And I thank you, okay? hope you've enjoyed this recording. To obtain
0: additional copies, receive a free catalog of AA and Al-Anon talks, or to find out about our tape and CD of the month club, call Encore Audio Archives at
1: 1-800-878-1308, or visit our website at www12